Hi, you're listening to The Dive, brought to you by Living Word Press, starting right now. Hi, welcome back to The Dive. I've got Dr. Josh Waldman, Dr. Gary Yates back. Uh, first couple weeks, we've been talking about uh, kind of what are the lines of God's grace? Is that a good good way of saying it, maybe? Uh, I'll allow it. We'll, we'll kind of continue that theme here. <laughs> Uh, and we'll say, what is the unpardonable or heard that said the unforgivable sin? Josh, I'll, I'll just throw it straight to you. Yeah. You know, so unpardonable sin is the terminology that's been adopted there, but that language is coming from a passage in Mark three. And so just to kind of give us some context, uh, the Jesus is being sort of accused of using demonic power or the power of Satan to cast out other demons. So he's performing miracles. He's casting out demons. And, um, you know, the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees are, are suggesting that that's being done, not in the power of God, but in the power of the enemy. And so Jesus explains it's that that's actually counterintuitive for a number of different reasons, um, that why would Satan, you know, give up his own ground, so to speak? Uh, it wouldn't be, it would make sense strategically, right? So, um, Jesus makes sort of a point there, and then he goes in and makes this sort of claim there in Mark 3 again. Uh, basically in verses, let's see, 28 and 29, after explaining that that was counterintuitive, he said, Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Uh, they are guilty of an eternal sin. And so sometimes you hear that referred to, as you said, as unforgivable sin. And people maybe that read that passage without a whole, a whole lot of background on it may think, oh, no, have I committed this? Did I do it unknowingly? Did it, I get really mad and yeah, uh, like, use the wrong curse words or something? Right. Like did, I, right did, I, did I do this in my sleep? And, you know, or did I do this at some point? And now I, I guess I'm just I'm stuck. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be damned and there's nothing I can do about this. So I, I think that there's there's some misconception about about what's going on here, um, Gary. What do you think? You think that this is a prominent sort of misunderstood passage? Yeah, I think it's that where people are afraid. What if I did commit the unpardonable sin? Probably, if you're afraid of that or concerned about that, is one of the indications that you have not committed it. Right. But I think I, I think what's important is is this just like every every passage of scripture and every interpretive issue you have to read the passage in its context. Mm -hmm. And so this is not just talking about uh, some serious sin. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not even, for example, suicide, which, well, how do you confess that and receive forgiveness? It's, it's specifically connected to the story where uh, what Jesus is doing and, and who he is is being attributed to Satan. Right. That's where the blasphemy comes in. And it's not even uh, just blasphemy in general because the, the text before this says... Mm -hmm. You know, all kinds of sins and, and blasphemies and curses can be forgiven, but this is in its its own special category. Yeah, you know, part of this is the recognition, uh, how does the Holy Spirit fit into this thing? And so we understand from a systematic theological perspective that the Spirit is the one that does the conviction unto truth, and that includes the recognition and convicting that the gospel is true, that Jesus is the Messiah, His identity and so forth— and, and the need for forgiveness at all. And if so, if someone were to say, no, Spirit, I don't want that, 
in a deliberate, the, the, the way that I normally explain this to folks, it takes two things. It's really two sort of features of the sin. One is that it's willful. You can't do it by accident. It's not something you just slip into. You have to decide to deliberately reject uh, what the Spirit is trying to communicate to you. And two, it has to be final. There's a sense of finality to it where you're saying, nope, I'm completely closed off. I want nothing to do with this. Now, the real interesting question, and I'm curious what your thoughts on this is, can that happen? Can you have a willful final rejection of the Spirit's conviction unto, unto sin, a rejection of Christ and His identity as the Messiah, and tr- attributing um, evil to, to, to God even? I mean, can you have that happen before death? Yeah, that's that's the struggle because I think sometimes we can just associate this with unbelief, and you know whoever believes is uh, is condemned already and will be condemned if they if they never turn from that and believe. But but it specifically says in this text they will not be forgiven in this this age or this life or in the life to come. So it seems like this is a specific type of rejection of the spirit and what the spirit is doing in Jesus that happens in this life, where God says. You know, enough. I'm, you're you're cut off from the opportunity to repent. Now, I, I think it's it's important to clarify that, like even these guys that are attributing the work of Jesus to Satan at this point, Jesus doesn't tell them you've committed the unpardonable sin. Right. But they're certainly on the track to that. Right. It, it's almost warning. like they're, they're professional theologians. They should have known better, and so they're flirting with outright rejection that could be final mm. at some point. But it hasn't. It hasn't quite reached this point. Reminds me a little bit of people who are afraid that they've taken the mark of the beast accidentally. <laughs> you, know, right. you can't do that. You know, it's not a six 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 tattoo or anything like that. It's or the uh, letter X. Yeah, uh, you know, on your head or something like that. It's a it's a willful thing, but uh, it does appear that like you can you can blaspheme and be so hard hearted and rejected that you're actually cut off from the opportunity to believe in this life. That's that's what I take this to be saying. So does, you know, I think obviously to be saved, you have to be kind of cued by the Holy Spirit um, to kind of have your eyes open to, to even be able to receive that grace to start with. So is this just kind of saying that God may at some point say, that's enough, and I'm, I'm no longer going to send my spirit to, to kind of open your eyes? It does seem like God judges sometimes by hardening the heart. And so, you know, it, there's so much resistance and refusal and rejection in some people's hearts, even in this life, at a certain point, God's God's judgment is manifest by virtue of just saying, "Fine, I give you over to that." Um, we see a number of examples of that in Scripture. Yeah, uh, to me, uh, the example of Pharaoh hardening his heart. If you look at the story of the plagues, in the majority of the plagues that at the at the front end, the Pharaoh is hardening his in his heart. But after seeing all of these displays of the glory and power of God and then willfully rejecting that and still withstanding what God is trying to do, the, the last plagues will emphasize that the Lord does the hardening. So I think it's, it, you can almost see that cut off being represented there. The, the Pharaoh has resisted and rejected to the point that God says, okay, I will now confirm your unbelief so that you will not be able to believe. So ultimately you'll be destroyed because of that. That to me, that's a clear example of what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, even though I don't think believers need to worry about slipping into the unpardonable sin or something like that, I do think that this speaks to a greater principle, and I think you just kind of touched on it. 
And, and that's just a, a continual willingness to hear and listen to God and to be open to his instruction, right? Just principally, like the opposite of hardening our hearts is submitting and obedience. It's exactly why James says at the beginning of his book, sort of as an axiom for the Christian life that we should be quick to listen. Mm-hmm. That's true in many different ways. We, we don't want to block our ears, spiritually speaking, from hearing from God. Yeah. Uh, and I think for an unbeliever, uh, every time they hear the gospel and refuse that, there's a there's a layer of resistance that that uh, builds up, and there there are other places in scripture. I think like Jeremiah and the potter. You know, the first time he goes to the potter, the potter reshapes it, and the people still have the opportunity to repent and to be reformed and that sort of thing. The second time he goes to the potter, he buys a pot, goes out and smashes it. Uh, the the opportunity to repent is gone. We never know when we're going to cross that point. We just have to be fearful, and and even as a believer, if I become hardened in some habit or some sin, uh, eventually I, can, I I come to the point where I may not be able to respond to what God wants in my heart. So Boy, that's a sobering thought. Yeah, nice to end on a happy happy word here. <laughs> yeah, you said we we're going to talk about grace. I'm not sure we got to it, there. but um, yeah. yeah, I mean I, I think it's important. Yeah. All right, thank you for diving in again this week. If you like what you heard, go ahead, share it with somebody else and subscribe to our channel. Uh, You can tweet at us or like I mentioned earlier, I guess it's now X. Uh, So go ahead and shoot us an X uh, with a question and we'll try to get that answered in a future episode. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time on The Dot. Just don't tattoo it on your (laughs) forehead.